How are we doing? Doing all right? Good, 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 good. Um, well, we are in a series right now, uh, and it's been a year-long series for us, and so our hope is to finish up uh, right before summer starts at the end of the school year. Um, and so we're in the book of Acts, and so uh, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll be in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Uh, and so uh, last week we looked at Philip, and uh, the thing I love about Philip is Philip is described as just a believer in Christ. Nothing uh, great about him. He was just a man somewhere along the lines as a church's birth. He, uh, God saves him and rescues him. And so he's, he's saved, and then um, the call to go and share is placed on his heart. And so as persecution comes uh, for the church there in Jerusalem, uh, it says that average men are just spread. Families are spread, and they take off, and they go uh, amidst persecution. And so um, in that, he ends up in Samaria. Philip's in Samaria, and he is just preaching and proclaiming, and revival breaks out. I mean, God saves some people in Samaria, um, and is just doing an amazing work there. Some of the apostles come down, kind of confirm what's going on. The Holy Spirit um, uh, is heavy upon the people's hearts. Uh, And then uh, in the scripture last week, it tells us that the Holy Spirit tells him to go. It tells him to go down to Gaza. And so this is going to be 160 miles away from where he's at. Something great and good is going on. But God says in the midst of that, I want you to go somewhere else. And so he hears the spirit of God tell him to go. And so he goes. Walks 160 miles. And in the midst of that, God was preparing Philip's heart all the while preparing someone else's heart. And so we've got this Ethiopian eunuch. And, and, and so God's been doing a work in him. And there's this hunger and desire to know more about God. And so he's made this trip to Jerusalem. And he's made this trip there. God's stern and he's, he's leaving. As he's leaving, he's on the road and just so happens, God puts them in the same place at the same time. Philip comes walking up next to him and hears him reading the word of God and the word of God that he's reading is the prophet Isaiah's words. And as he's uh, listening and hearing those words, he's, he's kind of confused because he doesn't understand and Philip says, hey, may I join you? And then they have this conversation and as they have this conversation, the Ethiopian unit gets saved. God rescues him and saves him and uses um, Philip in that moment to help lead him to the Lord. And so they look up and there's water and he says, hey, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing, let's do this. They get in the water and he baptizes him and then God has got a plan for Philip and so he gets him out quickly. He transports him. I don't know how, I don't, but this is the coolest one of those sci-fi moments in the Bible. So all of us like science nerds in here are like, yeah. He is transported away. And as he's transported away, the Ethiopian eunuch's there and he's just left there. And so what we know, church history, is that he goes and he starts the church. He, he helps and he shares the gospel back in Ethiopia and the church just busts at the seams there. And so it's amazing to see how God uses these moments. God uses all of this. But what he was doing was preparing a man, Philip, and preparing this Ethiopian eunuch. And he puts them on a crash course and they meet and they intersect. And as they do, the gospel is shared and God rescues and so we looked at that hardcore last week, and if you've missed that, you can check that out on our webpage, go to our resources, and it's there. Uh, we don't have time to unhash all of that or go back over all of that, but like I said, today, um, Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be, so um, uh, you can be turning there. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. So God, I pray, Lord, uh, this morning in this place that you would move. God, I pray that you would speak. God, I pray that your word would set the captives free. God, that your Holy Spirit has freedom to move in this place. God, you've, you've got freedom to do whatever you see fit. And so, God, I pray for the heart in here that doesn't know you this morning. God, I pray that you rescue and you redeem, God, that that grace and that mercy is made known, and God, that you do a mighty, mighty work in this place this morning. God, challenge us, convict us, draw us closer to you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of the church, and God, how we, we can even claim this story. We're here today because of what you did thousands of years ago. So, God, I pray you just move. God, make your presence known in this place. God, we beg. God, we need you. And we pray, amen. So today we're gonna see one of the greatest stories of redemption, one of the greatest stories of rescue ever told, ever recorded, ever known. And so the game plan is this. We're gonna look at four signs of the spirit, uh, the spirit of God is working and moving. We're gonna look at four signs there, how uh, God's working for someone to be converted. Maybe four symptoms, you may say, that someone's about to come down with uh, the case of being regenerated, coming to salvation. And so uh, we're, in, we're full-fledged in flu season. We're full-fledged in cold season. We, uh, I know there's a few people that's not here today. Because of that, they're sick. And there's, there's always these symptoms that come up, signs that you're about to get sick, right? You've, you've, uh, you've got maybe a little tickle in your throat. Maybe there's uh, uh, some drainage that starts. Maybe the, uh, the head gets a little groggy. Maybe some things uh, just starts to happen and your body just feels off and you know that. Maybe then that little, that little cough 
which when full grown turns into a hack and just a, a big coffin, just a rumbling deep in. And so there's a lot of different things that come, kind of symptoms that, that come along with it to let you know that, hey man, something's about to happen. You're about to get sick. Something's about to, to take place. And so I believe that, that we're gonna see signs in this story of who we know to be the apostle Paul. We're gonna see some signs in this story that's gonna point to him uh, being saved, him coming to faith in Christ. So Acts chapter uh, nine. And so what we'll do is we'll just walk through the story and then we're gonna look at these symptoms uh, as we kind of start to wind down. So the story is this, verse one, Acts nine, it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that's just simply saying this, if he finds anyone that belongs to Jesus, anyone who has taken faith in Christ, anyone who is following uh, the Lord, uh, anyone like that, anyone belonging to the way, men or women, men or women, I mean, that's pretty ruthless, isn't it? Because you gotta understand context, you gotta understand time, because in this time, women were looked at as a nothing. They, they were just property. They, they were worth nothing. They didn't have any say. They were just an owned somebody to, to a man or to, to, to a family, and so they, they had no say. And so he's even wanting to snuff this thing out so much that he goes after the women. I mean, that's pretty low if you ask me. And so he's, he gets the okay to do that, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I just wanna point your attention to something here because I believe that this is just an amazing thing that takes place here. Notice how Jesus takes persecution in his church. Look at how he takes this persecution against his church. What does Jesus say? Why are you persecuting who? Me. Saul never said anything against him. Saul had never went after him. Saul had never done any of that stuff after, after the resurrection to physically Jesus. And he says, why are you persecuting me? So what I love about this scripture, what this let us know is that Jesus does not see a church, the church as an it. He does not see the church as a building, but instead Jesus sees the church as a me. That's how Jesus views the church. And so he's so united, so together with himself and his church that they are one and the same. That they are one and the same. So when Saul's persecuting the church, he's persecuting Jesus. And so what's gonna happen here in this story is it's gonna throw Paul off a little bit. Uh, we'll see that here in a few minutes, but it's, it's, almost, it's, it's, it's almost as if like Paul's like, oh, wait, 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 who, who are you? Oh, hold, hold on, he's taken back by this. It, it's kind of almost like those things, like I would never, I, 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 I can't even look at you. Like, yeah, I, I would never persecute something like that. It's, it's almost like he's kind of having one of these moments, like what in the world's happening? So I just, I love this. I love that the fact that there's no separation between Jesus, his people, and his church, that they're all encompassing one. That Jesus is his church, his people is his church, and they're all one. And so what do we know about his church? Jesus takes his church very serious. We know that his church is considered his bride. We know that his church is his bride. And so what I would say is this, church, is that you can't love Jesus and hate his church. Hate his bride. You can't be for Jesus and then be against the church. They're all encompassing one. He cares for her. It, it would be like this. It would almost be like calling me up and say, Scott, man, you're great. You're awesome. Man, I would really like to have you over for dinner uh, one night. I mean, we've got this spread that we're going to cook. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be off the charts. I mean, you're, I mean, and they start to tell you the menu. Like, man, we really, really, we want you to come over so bad and, and just hang out with us. But there's just one catch. And that catch is, could you just leave your wife at home? I, I, we, we really don't, we, we don't care for her, to be honest. I mean, she's just, she's not nice, she's, and I'm not gonna go on here because this illustration will get me in trouble. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if you could just leave her, just leave her at home, like we really like you. Isn't that crazy though? Because we're one. As, as a married couple, as, as husband and wife, we are one unit together. And so I give you that illustration because there's a ton of people in the world who say they love Jesus but want nothing to do with his church. And how crazy and goofy is that, that you would like me and not, not want to be a part of my wife too, not want to invite her, have her as well. 
And so there's people that say that they love Jesus and that they're for him, but they are only marginally involved in the church. They only care a little bit about the church. They only wanna be around and involved in the church just a little bit. See, the apostle Paul, after his conversion later on in the book of Ephesians 5.25, he says this. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And see, this is a cute, nice little verse that we use. I, I use it in premarital counseling. We talk about it, we walk through it, and we look at the husband and wife relationship and what that means, and we connect it back to Jesus. But in all honesty, this has very little to do with that and a lot to do with who Jesus is. And so as I tell them, as we start to walk through this and kind of unpack this, as we start to look at this scripture and the, the weight of it and the depth of it and the meaning of what, this, what you're about to enter into, I always link it back to who it's really talking about, and it's about Jesus. And what I tell them is on that day when you stand there before one another as cute and as in love and as committed and connected as you want to be and as you're going to be, that day has nothing to do about you, but it has everything to do about Jesus. It's the work that God's done in you to bring you to this point. And what you're about to enter into is a beautiful picture of what Jesus thinks of his church, of what Jesus thinks of his people. And so he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. So it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus thinks about his church. And I even want to define it a little more than that because it's not about a name on a building. That's not what he's talking about here. Not the local church, but the church all believers everywhere at all times. That's who he's talking about. He, he's not talking about the name of the building, but for a, a, about a people for himself. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what we see happening here in the book of Acts as Saul is persecuting his church, is persecuting his people, is persecuting him. Jesus says, enough. They're my people. They're, that's me that you're persecuting. And so what the scripture tells us in Ephesians is that he loves his bride so much that he lays down his life for her. That's what he does. That, that, this, that this people group that the Saul is persecuting and going after, this people group in today Nepal, this people group in today China, this people group in today the world, Jesus loves and cares so much for that he gives his life as a ransom. That's what the scripture tells us. And so what Jesus does is he confronts Saul. And he says, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of, no more. Knocks him to the ground. Knocks him to the ground. And so my thought is this, if Jesus cares that much for the church, shouldn't we? If Jesus thinks the church is that grand, that lovely, that glorious, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we treat her the same way? But we've got to understand what the church is. The church isn't this chair, it's not this stage, it's not this micro, it's not this stuff. The church is the people sitting in the seats right now. You're the church, I'm the church. I just want to be straight up with you. Because what I've learned in ministry, what I've learned in life is that people are going to hurt you. People are going to cut you, things are going to happen, stuff's going to be said, things, things are going to go wrong. Why? Because the church is people and people are messy. Relationships are messy, relationships are difficult. So there's gonna be times when you get hurt. There's gonna be times when you get frustrated. There's gonna be times when you get aggravated. But hear me, the church is the people and we all have hangups and issues. Every single one of us, if we would be honest and lay ourselves bare for a moment and really share, really share where we're at. Like, like I look at my life. I was saved at 11 and I'm 35 today. So 20 something years later, 24, 24 years later, I look at my life, I've got two little boys, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, been married almost 12 years in May. And I look at my life and I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. And, and there's times I look at my life and I'm like, are you, why am I not further along? I would have thought for sure by now in my life I would be further down the road in my walk, in my maturity with Christ. I, I, would, I would have felt for certain that the things that, that plague me and bug me would not be the things that plague me and bug me today. I think if truth be made known, every single person in this room would probably say the same thing. So the church, as messed up as she is, us, Jesus loves her so much and cares for her so much that he gives his life for her. So yes, people are gonna frustrate you, gonna hurt you, gonna aggravate you. With all of our hangups, with all of our mess ups. But where I wanna press you is this, do you love the church? Do you love the people enough to walk with them through those things? Are you connected with them enough to walk with them through the junk? 
And you know what Jesus' answer to that question is? Is a resounding yes every time. And the way that I know that is because of the cross. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. I want to be a breath of fresh air to you this morning. Just lay all of my cards out on the table. And I want to say this. If you stick around here long enough, you're going to be hurt. Oh, we'll find ways to hurt you. Don't worry. Like, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Something will be said or there'll be a look or there'll be... They looking at me? I mean, there'll be, there'll be something. Well, because we all have bad days, because we all have hangups, we all have issues. You hang around here long enough, get involved enough. Now, if you just kind of slip in, you're just kind of one of those that's just kind of on the outskirts, don't really get involved, don't really get committed. I mean, we, pro- I mean, we probably look like gold here. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, like this, this, I mean, this is the happening place to be if you don't get involved. But the moment that you step inward, the moment that you get committed a little more, the moment that you start to walk down that road and start to do life with people, uh, it won't take long for you to see really where, where some, of the, uh, some of the makeup that we put on a little heavier in certain areas, you'll find that out real, real quick where the blemishes are. Why? Because we're people. We're broken people fighting in a dark world, fighting for, uh, for freedom, fighting for all of those things. And what I've learned and what I know in my life personally is growth, maturity is an ugly thing sometimes because it's difficult. And I, I, I just like to fight for me sometimes, you know? Like I want my comforts, I want my stuff, I want the me. And you know what Jesus says about that? He says, it's never about you, big boy. It's always about me and my cross. And that is an ugly process to work through. Ugly process to work through. And so what I know is this, is that Jesus is for the church, that Jesus loves the church, that Jesus gave his life for the church. And so if the church is something that we need to be committed to, the church is something that we need to be a part of, the church is something that we need to love as well. Not, this, not the dumb building or the name on the front of the sign. I'm talking about the people in the building. The people in the building that take the name. of We need to be for one another. We need to love one another. We need to walk with, walk through. We need to, we need to do all of those things, be committed to him. And in a result of being committed to him, being committed to one another, we need to walk through and do that. And the more involved you get, the more you'll see the real colors, the more you'll see the real motives, the more you'll see the real stuff. And so if you read scripture, if you look at scripture, there's no question at all, based on the word of God, that you should be very involved in the local church. No question, I don't believe you can divorce the two. I don't believe you can divorce it at all. You need to join, you need to get involved in a ministry, you need to be a contributing member. You need to be a vital part of, of this place. It needs to be, what it should be like is one of these things, if, if God calls you away to go somewhere else, it should, it should be devastation for us. It, it, should, it should hurt a little bit. Yeah, we wanna celebrate it and we wanna send you and we wanna pray for you and, we, and, and I get that God calls people away and yes, if he calls you away, go. But what it should be like is that if anybody in this sanctuary, anybody that's a covenant member here at New Life Baptist Fellowship, God calls you away, there should be a hole, there should be a hurt for a little bit because we're so involved, we're so connected, we're loving the church, walking with the church, being the church, being, uh, contributing in ministry, all of those things. And so I guess my, my loving challenge for you here this morning is this, is man, get in. Get in or get going. And I say that in love, and what I mean by that is simply this. Don't come and just sit. Don't come and just sit. No, 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 come and get involved and give your life away. I mean, you heard what, uh, what Britain said about the church in, in Nepal? They will hike through the Himalayas? I can't hardly even walk up a hill. And they're going through the Himalayas to tell somebody about Jesus, and I won't go across my, my street and tell my neighbor that's on top of the hill about Christ? Shame on me, shame on us. What devotion and commitment do we have to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where is that? Where's the the weight of that and the reality of that? So what I'm saying is this, man, get get involved, get plugged in. And and hear me, and I'm I'm not trying to be a jerk. That's not what I'm trying to do. Please, please, Holy Spirit, help me here. What I'm talking about is simply, simply this, man, get involved and give your life away. See what God will do with it. See what God will do through you. It's been like this. It's probably been about... Five or six months ago, a, a gentleman calls and, and I was here and I answered the phone and I got to talking to him a little bit and he had checked out our website. He had checked out our website a little bit, looked some stuff online, started asking me some questions and things like that and, and we were talking and uh, just telling him a little bit about our, our beliefs and kind of where we're at and um, just styles and things like that and so we're just talking about all this kind of stuff and uh, we're getting ready to hang up. He said, man, I really appreciate it. I said, well, do me a favor. If you come and I would love to meet you. And he was kind of hesitant. He's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I appreciate it. I said, said, but hear me. He had just moved into town from somewhere else. I said, hear me. I said, 
if you come and we're not the place for you, man, you let us know if, if you've looked at that and you still don't think that we're, and I get people's got styles, I get people's got preferences, I, I get that. I said, if we're not the place for you, you let me know. I know it's difficult trying to find a church and I would love to help you find a place. And I hear this pause. And I'm like, hello, hello. I'm, I'm like, are you there? He's like, yeah, yes, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's like, did you say that you would help me find a church if it's not the church that you're at? I said, yeah. Nobody's ever said that to me before. Is that not crazy? We're not in competition with another church out there. We don't want to try to steal. No, that's not. No, our heart is to reach the world. Our heart is to, to go after the lost. Our heart is, is to do that. And if, and if we're not the place for you, and hear me, anybody in this place, if we're not the place for you, then we'll help you find a place. It's not about a name on a building. It's about the Savior of the world. That's what it's about. That's, who, that's whose team. We're on the same team, church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're his people, we're his body, we're his bride. And hear me, not everybody in the body, not every bride meets at 350 Old Furnace Road, and that's okay. Man, if it's a place that's committed to the gospel, a place that believes in Jesus Christ for salvation, it's, it's through faith, by grace, all of us, by grace, through faith, all of those things, that's the church. That's the church, and we want people involved and plugged in and everywhere in the body of Christ, being the body of Christ. So Paul goes on, or the word of God goes on and says this in verse five, it says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And so later when Paul starts to kind of recount this, when he starts to kind of go back over this moment in the book of Acts, it, it happens in 26, uh, chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. He, he reports something that Jesus uh, said to him, kind of right in between there, in between those, those, par- those two phrases. And, and he, this is how he says it. This is what Jesus says to him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so as I was reading that, as I was looking at the story, I'm like, what the heck is a goad? And I'm from West Virginia in the mountains, man. You know what I'm saying? So like, I should know a goad. But I'm like, what is a goad? And so as I looked and as I read this, a, a goad is this, is, this, is this object that you would use to prod and to jab livestock. It's like you would poke it in the back of a leg of an oxen to get it to move, a stubborn animal or an animal that you want to move. You would poke it and you would prod it. You would goad it is what you would do. And as you would go to what that would do, that would aggravate it, it would irritate it, it would cause it to move to action. And so do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here? As, as he recounts this, this experience in Acts 26, 14, he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so my question is, what's been prodding against Saul? What has God been doing, poking and agitating and irritating him and, and moving him to a place where he wants him? Was it maybe the death of Stephen as he took that in, as he saw Stephen be stoned to death and his life taken from him? Was it maybe that situation? Maybe was it an an unanswered question about who this Jesus guy was? Was that maybe what was poking him and prodding him? Was it maybe the way that that Christians had died for their faith, the way that they would take a stand for their, their faith, unswerving about that? And so maybe, just maybe, some of those things started to just weigh on Saul, Maybe they started to press down on him and he started to realize and see and God used that to maybe open up his eyes a little bit, open up his heart a little bit. But what we know is that these goads were bothering, they were bothering Saul, they were wounding him. And so what was he doing? He was kicking against them. He was fighting against them. And so what does he do? As we see here in the story, he goes and he gets letters to take more people that belong to the way, women and men, and do away with them, put them in prison, have them murdered. Who cares? Let's just, let's, let's quiet this. Let's shut this Jesus stuff up is where Paul's at. And so verse seven, the men who were traveling with him, they stood there speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And so we see this happen all the time. We see this take place all the time. And in conversion, when someone comes to to faith in Christ, you've got people around and they encounter the same things, but they don't hear the voice of God in it. I mean, think about your salvation story, maybe. Like I, I think of mine often, but, but I was there, I was hearing the gospel. There were other people there that, that heard the same gospel, but no one moves. It happens here week in and week out. We proclaim the gospel and some people hear it and some people just hear it. And so they sit there and they hear it. They read the same books, same sermons. They hear those, encounter the same questions. But for whatever reason to them, it just sounds like noise. But then church, there's that first time you actually hear God. You hear that effectual call. You hear that and feel that wooing of the Holy Spirit to come. 
You actually hear it. You hear it. For whatever reason you've been around it, for whatever reason you've, you've seen it, you've, you've heard it, you've even seen the things that God's done in the church or in people or in this world and you've heard all those things but for whatever reason this is the first time you've heard it. And so you know what I wanna say this because maybe that's you today. Maybe you've heard the gospel but you've never heard the gospel. Maybe you've been around it and you've seen it but you've never, you've never experienced it. Like maybe today as you being here in this moment, in this place isn't by accident. I just believe that with everything in me that God's, God's got you here for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. And so maybe, just maybe, it's, it's to hear the gospel for the first time. So maybe you're sitting here and you, you can actually hear the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's been a goat that's been prodding you for a while. Maybe it's a difficult question that you can't answer. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a difficult time in your life. Maybe it's just, it's just some stuff going on. And God's using those things to get your attention. Maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe the Holy Spirit's come for you. He wants you to believe. God wants your eyes and your heart to be opened up to the reality of the cross and your sinfulness and your loss. So all you have to do is just surrender and believe. Believe in Jesus and the, and the work that he's accomplished on the cross, that that's made a way. It's, it's by faith and faith alone. That's what it's about. And so the story goes on. And Saul says this in verse eight. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he's without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Like I love this. Like, like this, is, this is beautiful, beautiful stuff here. So you've got Saul the mighty. Saul the mighty is now kneeling before God. You've got Saul the one who, who thought he saw so clearly now being led by his hand because he's blind. You've got Saul the one who seized others is what now seized himself by the Lord. You've got Saul, the hammer who broke others is now broken, now broken by Christ. I just love how God uses, how God does that. And so Saul would soon change his name to Paul. And do you wanna know what the meaning of that word is, the meaning of the name Paul? He goes from Saul to Paul, and, and the word Paul means small. I mean, I, I just love God's sense of humor in this. Saul, this big mighty mammoth man, so he thought, is, is deduced down to nothing, having to be led around, needing help, can see nothing. God, God stops him in his tracks and he's eventually gonna change his name as a reminder, I believe, that hey, you thought you were something, big boy, you're nothing now. But in me, you can be everything. And so Saul was a strong Jewish name, the name of the first mighty king. And in that moment, Saul the mighty has become Saul the small. I just love that. Verse 10, and now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord uh, said to him in a, in a, in a vision, Ananias, um, and he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house uh, of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And so I can imagine just for a moment in this, in this section here as, as this is happening and this is going down, can you just put yourself in Ananias' position for a second? I mean, can you imagine the confusion or maybe how perplexed he would be in this moment? I mean, I can only imagine what's running through his mind, what, what he's thinking, what's going on. And, and I can just envision something like this, like Ananias would say, um, um, oh, God, say what? I, th I thought that I heard you say for just a minute that Saul of Tarsus but remember, God, like you know all things. Like this ear right here sometimes gets stopped up. Remember, it's flu season, and I've kind of got that. So, God, can you tell me one more time in my good ear? I mean, I can just imagine that. Yeah, Jesus, that's a good one, God. Yeah, you, you. It would almost be like this. It would be like Jesus, maybe a few years ago, saying, "Hey, I need you to go down to the grocery store." And as you get to the grocery store, because there's this guy down there that I, I need you to meet, I need you to get. And he's gonna be sitting in the deli area. And so as he's sitting in the deli area, you, you'll, you'll know him, but I want you to take him to church. I want you to invest in him a little bit. I want, I want you to let him stay at your house, use your rooms, treat him good, love on him. I want him to stay with you. And by the way, his name is Osama bin Laden. You're gonna know him. He's gonna have this turban on, long beard, kind of dark-skinned fellow. You'll, you'll know him. And I'd be like, uh, say what? It's kind of like one of those moments here in this story. It's kind of like uh, th th this guy's uh, reputation precedes him. It goes before him. I mean, they, they knew Saul was coming for the church. They, they were aware. I, I can just imagine the story of Stephen's uh, martyrdom and being, being made known. I, I can just imagine all of that. 
And so in the story, it says that Saul was praying. And in verse 12, it says, and he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, and here he has authority from the chief priest to, to bind all who call on your name. And I, am just, I, mean, I just find it amazing the amount of people in the scriptures, uh, that, that all the time that they spend just arguing with Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just find, that just, I find that funny. And, I, and so what I would say is it's, it's nice to see that not much has changed, right, since then? Because we, I mean, we're so much further down the road, right? We, we never argue or disagree. We just always happy obedience every moment Jesus asks us to do something. That's sarcasm. But how many of us honestly fight against what God tells us to do? Because it's uncomfortable. It's unsafe. It's not what everybody else is doing. It may seem a little weird. What if I get made fun of? Well, all of those questions that come into mind. All of those questions that come into play and to think that Jesus would ask me to do something that would take me out of my comfort zone and, and make me feel not as happy and fuzzy as I do. Absolutely he would. You better believe he would. Why? Because there's people just like us that need to hear the gospel. There's people just like us that, that, need, that we need to be around pouring into and so the story goes in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he has chosen an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so I think that is a huge statement, church. I don't know if you write or underline in your Bible, but that is a good, good place to do something right there because look at what, look at what God tells Ananias, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul just comes to faith in Jesus and the first thing that he wants to make sure that, that he understands or he knows is that, hey, Saul, you're gonna suffer a good bit for me, for my name and for my glory. That's what's gonna happen to you. And so I believe we're just so quick to forget this. I believe we're so quick to, to, to move past this. I mean, we, we want it nice and neat and, and now that we've come to faith, we want everything to be wrapped perfect, a little bow on top and everything to always fall right into place. And that is the farthest from the truth that it's gonna be. I know very few who come to faith and that happens. It's usually the opposite. It's usually the opposite. Why? Because you're working for the light now. When you're with the dark, the dark left you alone. Man, but when you're in the light, the dark can't stand you is what the scriptures teach. What does it say about Satan? He wants to he come to kill, steal, and destroy. When you're on his team doing his thing, he leaves you alone. But the moment you take the name of Jesus, oh, it's on now. You're an, you're, you're, a, you're an opponent now against him is what it is. Some people are just so quick to forget that. It's not talked about much when, it talk, when we talk about salvation, but there's a cost that needs to be taken into account. And so that may be your story this morning. You may have suffered a lot for the sake of his name. And that's okay. Because you're suffering for him. And he doesn't take to that lightly. He's aware He's walking with us through it. He cares. So verse 17, it goes on, it says this. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying on his hands to him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he, he sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized. Now taking food, he was strengthened. And so everything played out like, like the Lord said it would. And so now what I wanna do is this. I wanna look at some signs real fast that God's moving to save you. I wanna look at some things that God's doing maybe to move in a way of moving to save you. And the first thing I wanna point out in this story is this, is that God has been pursuing. Maybe God moving is God pursuing you. What did God do in the story? He went after Paul or Saul at the time. He went after, the, after Saul. And so what does the story say? It says that Saul had some goads prodding him. And so maybe it's the same thing for you. Maybe that's what's happening right now. Maybe God's pursuing you and you didn't realize that God was pursuing you. Maybe God's coming after you and you didn't realize that that's exactly what's happening, that God wants you. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to, to, to make you into something. Maybe that's what's happening. And maybe it's by way of unanswered questions about life, maybe about death, maybe about God. There's this uh, 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 interest or wonder now that maybe wasn't there. And so you're trying to press in, you're trying to figure out some things. Uh, maybe for you, the goat, as you see uh, the joy in a Christian friend's life after they've gone through some pain. 
I mean, how could somebody be joyful in that moment? They just lost someone they loved. Yeah, but that loved one knew Jesus. And so they're, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is what the Bible teaches. Or maybe, just maybe it's the love in the Christian community. Maybe the church, if we function like the church should function, if we would be like we've seen in the book of Acts and care for one another and love for one another and walk with each other like Christ has shown us, like it's been outlined for us in the scriptures that we're committed to one another and care for one another. Maybe as a result of that, maybe you've seen that and you're kind of interested in some of that. How how does that work? Why would that person do that? You mean you could just move in? I mean, here's my car, go use it, what? You mean you've given them, you took up $650 for a a mission that you're not even going, what? Why would you give your, maybe you see those kinds of things starting to happen and maybe that's God just prodding you. Maybe he's he's, he's just just pushing you right along. So sometimes when God pursues you, it's painful. It hurts. But hear me, it's not punishment. It's not punishment. See, I, I grew up in West Virginia and we, uh, we had these old country preachers. I mean, they would preach hell and brother and sister, it would get hot. You know what I'm saying? I, oh man a, man, a godly man, he wore bibbed overhauls, white dress up shirt, boots, and I mean, he was just a mammoth of a man. And he would stand up there and he would tell us about Jesus. Oh, it's like he had actually been with him just before he got there. Oh, I was like, yes, I want that. Give me that. And so, so, so I grew up in that, that place, kind of that environment. And, and so, so I could always remember, sometimes they would say things like this. They, they, would, say, they would say things like this. They said, if you're lost, I pray that you are just so miserable you can't stand it. They would pray that. Like if you're here today, brother, or not brother, hopefully soon to be brother, I pray that you're just so miserable you can't stand it. It would be a little bit more loving. Hold on, let me. I pray that you're so miserable you can't stand it. I pray, I pray that, that you can't even sleep tonight because of God stirring in you. I pray that when you eat food that it is the blandest taste and stuff. You, who wouldn't want to be saved if he's going to pray that, you know? And I thought, man, that's, that's horrible. I mean, that's, that, that sounds to be completely awful, does it not? But honestly, let's think about it for a second. Let, let, let's think about it for a second. It, it may sound horrific, but for those of us in this room that know Jesus Christ as Savior, is our prayer not that God does whatever he has to do to save the lost? And so if you don't sleep for three nights, praise God for that. If that turned, causes you to turn to him and seek him, and he reveals to you in that moment that you need him more than you need sleep, or if that food doesn't taste like that food should taste, that you turn to him in that. And so as goofy as that may have sounded just now, maybe, maybe this morning, that's what's ha- maybe that's what God's doing in you. And no, I haven't prayed any like prayers over you this week about that. But I will if I need to, because I believe salvation's that important. A relationship with Christ is that important that God would take, do whatever he has to do in your life to get you to the point to see that you need him more than anything else. Would that not be, if he did nothing and just let you do your own thing and then you get there that day and you're like, okay, God, here I am, let me, no, 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 no. Why not? Well, you didn't believe in me. You had no relationship. You never put your faith and trust in me. Yeah, but, but you never, you ne- and then we're only gonna point it back on him like it's his fault. I mean, isn't that it? I kind of think it's like this. Me as a dad, I'm gonna do things that's gonna frustrate and upset my kids. Why? Because I love them. So maybe in God's love, it's him doing those things to you to show you that your need is for him and not whatever else it is. So maybe that's what he's doing. And so what did he do for Saul? He physically blinded Saul so he could see. He physically blinded Saul and in blinding Saul, Saul could see. It's the craziest thing. He's blinded because he's nothing but he sees Jesus. Would we not want that in our life? Would we not desire that in our life? I mean, honestly, think about it for a minute, church. I mean, how crazy would we be not to want Jesus? Look at what he offers us and promises us. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about rescue from us and our sin. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what Paul got. And as blind as a bat, he could see Jesus finally. So maybe this morning, are you feeling the goads? Are you feeling that prodding and that pushing? Are you listening? The second, uh, the second sign that God's moving to save you is this. 
You've been blinded. God's been pursuing you, one, two. You've been blinded. So Paul's blindness is given as a picture of all people separated from Christ. I believe that's just a picture of, of, of the world being, being separated from Christ. So there's two types of blindness that I want to address real quick. The first one is just lostness. It's just worldliness, just sinfulness, just lost. It's sin, living in sin, and, and just don't even care, just living however you want to live, being however you want to be, just being in that, rebellious. But then you wake up and you realize that you've got the string of broken relationships, or you wake up and you realize that there's, there's always fallout. Maybe you're unhappy, and that list can go on and on and on, but finally you realize that you've been blinded. Finally you realize that you've been blinded, that you've been treating God like he's an enemy, and he's not. And the second type of blindness I want to address is this, is religious blindness. Religious blindness. You think that you can be good enough to earn God's approval. I mean, look at Saul. If anybody, I mean, he he puts every one of us to shame. Every single one of us, the the law that he knew, the way that he lived his life to a T, all of those things, religious blindness is what it is. If you just try hard enough and just keep enough rules, just do all that stuff, come to church, throw some money in the plate, then God will love you, like you, and accept you. And if I can lovingly challenge you, the contrast to that is the gospel. The contrast to that is the gospel. The gospel is a gift of grace. It's Jesus dying in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, clothing us in his righteousness. That's what it is. I just want to let the cat out of the bag. There is absolutely nothing that you can do for God to like you, love you more, or not like you or love you less. Absolutely nothing you can do and I've got all the evidence and proof you need is the cross. If you ever, ever wonder if Jesus will love you more or like you more, the answer is no. No, he won't. Why, because he loves you enough. He loves you to the max. That's what the cross tells us. That's what the cross teaches us. And so what we do is we enter into relationship with him. We see that we don't have to, but we get to. We don't have to do anything, but we get to do everything. I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to serve. I don't have to give. No, no, no. I get to give. See, religion says you have to. Relationship says I get to. And there's a huge difference. Religion wears you to slap out. It wears you down and just kills you. Relationship frees you and gives you life. That's what it does. So Paul was blinded by religion. That I have to, not that I get to. But when he experienced grace, it changed everything. Radically changed him. The third um, sign that God might be moving to save you is this. Your past does not disqualify you from God's grace. Your past does not disqualify you from God's grace. Paul, what was Paul? Paul was a murderer. Paul was guilty of murder. And so his, his, his conversion shocked Ananias in the church. See, Jesus had said in verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. I've got him. I know what his past looks like. He would not pass not one background check here. Listen, if you've got children, we've got background checks everywhere. We're doing everything we can to keep you safe. Your kids, everybody. We, we want to be safe, safe. You know what I'm saying? So, but this is what I know about Paul. He wouldn't pass a background check. We would not invite him to come and be a guest speaker. We would not invite him to come and like be over any ministry here. Like he would not pass the background check. But what does God say? He's like, I've chosen him. He's gonna be an instrument for me. And so there's two things about the gospel that are really difficult to believe. And that's this, number one is this, that you are so bad that Jesus had to die to save you. That you were so bad that Jesus had to die to save you. And the second thing is this, is that, that he was so glorious, he was glad to die to save you. And so the question is, which is more difficult for you to believe? That you were so bad or that he was so glad to? Because they're on different sides of the spectrum. And so this, this, is, this is how you know maybe. Does hell offend you? Does hell offend you? Be- because if so, then it's probably because you don't think you're that bad. If hell offends you, then it shows that maybe you have an understanding of who Jesus is and what that place is for. Or, or maybe the other struggle is this, to believe that, that he was so loving that he was glad to die and save you. Where are you at in the spectrum? Or maybe you don't struggle with those at all. Hear me this morning, please hear me this morning. You, you were wanted, and I don't care about your past, I don't care how bad you've been, You'll never be as bad as Saul. You'll never be as bad as Saul. 
And so conversion is a dual realization. I'm worse than I've ever dreamed and he is more gracious than I've ever hoped for. That's what salvation is, realizing that, that I'm a worthless, no good, nothing, that I'm a sinner, rebellious, all the while that he is so good and he is so loving that he would absorb and he would take that for me. That's what salvation is. And the fourth way that we can see that maybe God's working to save you is this, is that you come to the place where you finally realize that your past does not disqualify you from future usefulness. What I mean by that is this, is in verse 15 again, he says this, he says, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel to stand before kings. Do you see what happens here in this story? God takes the greatest enemy of the church with the blood of God's saints on his hands and he puts him before who? Kings, the most influential people in the world with the salvation of God on his lips. He puts him in places where he can be in front of the most influential people on the planet so the gospel can go forth. So never forget, never ever forget the greatest missionary for the church was at one time the greatest enemy to the church. And so here's one of the greatest mysteries of the gospel. The greater the damage of sin, the greater your usefulness in redemption. I mean, there are people in this room that have been through it, that have been rebellious and that God has just used and saved you and now he can use you in a mighty way if you just let him use you. If you just let him use you. And so my question for you is this, what makes you feel disqualified? Maybe it's a horrible, embarrassing mistake in your past. Maybe you've been in prison. Maybe it's a bad marriage. Maybe it's a continual struggle you have with the flesh. I don't know what the list is. I don't know what it is that, that Satan tries to point at you and tear you down and wear you out. But the thing that makes you bad are the very things that God intends to use as an instrument of redemption. As a part of your story to reach the next person. That's what God wants to use and that's what God wants to do. So as the band comes up, I wanna close this way. I wanna say something to the church and then I wanna say something to those of you who maybe God's drawn to himself this morning. The first thing is the church is this. The thing I wanna challenge us with as we close is this, have you lost the wonder of God's grace? Have you lost that wonder and that all of the grace of God? As I talk to Brent, is it not contagious? I mean, he's going to a place where there's people that have never heard the name of Jesus. Have never, he's gonna invest in men at this seminary that's gonna go out and gonna hike through the Himalayas first to get to a place to tell people about, to start a church in a place where you get caught starting a church, you die. There's no trial, there's no let's get some evidence. No, no, you Jesus over there right now, we're gonna burn him. Right now we're gonna uh, abuse him. Right now we're gonna throw rocks at him till he's dead. Right now we're, got a gun here, give it to me, bang. I mean that, oh, to think that's what the church is doing in the world. That's what we're called to do. Go and take the gospel to the dark places. You'll be my witness everywhere, Jesus says. So if you lost that wonder of God's grace, see the problem is this, is us as the church, we're usually like Ananias. Unsure if God's grace is really that powerful. Okay, God, Saul, th there is no way God could save Saul. I, I can remember something that just stuck out to me uh, one time, so I try to do better at this, is whenever I was a young kid kind of growing up and it, that preacher guy that was in the bed, just a godly man, um, it, was, it would be like somebody would say that so-and-so got saved and they'd be like, really? No, what, really? And so the response would be, absolutely. Well, because that's what God does. That's who he is. He's salvation. The, there is nobody too far from the reach of God ever and so I don't know what family looks like I don't know what relationships look like I don't know what people you, I don't but there is nobody on this world in this world too far from the reach of God so do not lose that wonder of God's grace who are you looking for who are you praying to be saved we need to go after the world church and the last thing I want to say is this is to the lost Maybe this morning, in this place, in this moment, as the gospel has been proclaimed, as we've talked about Jesus, maybe now you see that God's pursuing you. Maybe now in this moment you see that God's coming after you. That he wants you to be saved. So the question I ask is this, are you aware that you're blind? Are you aware that you haven't been able to see who Jesus Christ is? Because what I know is the work of the Holy Spirit is he starts to remove those scales. And the scales aren't usually here, but it's here. It's in the hardened of heart. And so maybe this morning, that's what God's doing. Are you aware that you've been blinded here? That, that your heart's hard towards God? Maybe for the first time you're at the place where you believe that Jesus can save you like he said he could. Maybe for the first time you believe that maybe God does have a plan for you. 
And so please hear me, please, please hear me today. Jesus stands today with outstretched arms. One here and one here. Every time. And so maybe for you in this place this morning, it's God making you aware of that reality that you need him as Savior. And so what I want to encourage you with is this. And I've got to tell this story a couple times this week, and I don't even know why, but for me as an 11-year-old boy standing there on that pew at VBS that night, and he was preaching, but he wasn't preaching that hell was hot. He was just telling us that Jesus loved us. And as I was standing there, holding onto that pew, just kind of swaying, doing my thing, for whatever reason, God wrecked me. And I knew for the first time that I needed Jesus as my Savior. And so you know what I did? I tried. I tried. These feet felt like a thousand pounds. Like I knew, I knew I needed Jesus. I couldn't. And for whatever reason in that verse, whatever verse, I don't even know what was singing. I don't even know what I did after. I just know that I made a beeline to the front. And I believe that God saved me when I took that first step. I believe that he rescued me whenever I said, yes, I'm serious, I need you. So maybe here this morning, that's you. And so I wanna encourage you, man, don't be ashamed of that. Uh, if we're gonna be the church that we see in the scriptures and we're, go- we're gonna be, and if, and if you get ticked at it, then I'm, just get over it. But we're gonna be a place that's gonna be loving and we're gonna be caring and we're gonna be compassionate and we're gonna celebrate the heck out of when God saves somebody. So maybe you're here this morning and Jesus wants to rescue you from your sin. If you do, don't feel ashamed. I don't care how long you've been coming. If God wants to save you, you let him save you and you come, you believe. I'll be down here in front, I'll pray with you, we'll talk, whatever it is. And so maybe for the first time you've heard the gospel, you be obedient to whatever God calls you to do this morning. Whatever he asks of you, maybe he's revealed to you some things this morning. God, help us in this moment as we worship, because we get to sing one of the great hymns of our faith to be reminded of the position that we were in when you rescued us, every single one of us. Every single one. So God, I pray this morning that you save the lost. God, I pray this morning that you encourage those in this room that are following you, God. Conviction is a good thing. God, draw us to your side. Do whatever you have to do. God, that's what I'm gonna say. Do it. And God, I say that for me too. Do, God, do whatever you have to do to draw me closer to you. God, do whatever you have to do in this place this morning. I wave your Holy Spirit. And we pray, amen. If you guys would stand, we're gonna sing this great hymn of our faith, Amazing Grace. You stand, you respond as God leads. If you want to come pray, if you need somebody to talk to, whatever we can do to serve and worship with you.